Good to see you all this morning. How's everybody doing this morning? You doing all right? All right. Me too. By the way, I just want to thank you for your vote of confidence last Sunday night for bringing Debbie and I back into Cedar Cedar Home to do the interim ministry here. Uh, We feel privileged. We really do. Never would have imagined that we'd be doing this, but we feel privileged that that we're here. Um, Before I get to what we're going to be studying for a while, I want to share with you my entire philosophy of being an interim pastor in about a pastor in about two minutes. Okay, um, this has been building up over the last seven years since 2014, when we've been able to do some interim ministries and um, some important things that Deb and I have been learning about being an interim pastor. Uh, number one, we really love it. We really enjoy interim ministry. I I never thought I would uh, being a full time lead pastor for many years, but we have really discovered something that we love doing. Uh, we like, we, I guess we didn't realize how much we liked shepherding the flock uh, when it was vulnerable and uh, when it needed consistency and stability. But that's what we found interim ministry is. It's the time when the church does not have a pastor. And it's a tough time. But we were, have been very excited to step in at some churches and uh, try to provide that. I think we have to some degree, by the grace of God. And so um, we're going to do our best to do that here. And uh, one of my friends who has done a lot of uh, interim pastorates over the years and has been kind of a mentor to me now, he's retired now, but when he, he and his wife would go into a church as an interim pastor, the very first thing he said from the platform was, you're going to love us <laughs> because we're going to love you. Isn't that neat? Well, I think you're going to love Debbie and I because we're going to love you, number one. We are, in fact, I already kind of do love you, but for sure, we're going to love you. Second thing that I, I want to share is that um, a kind of thought, pro- thought processes go through my mind as an interim pastor, I've found. And I can make a statement that I think will explain why, uh, what it is. And my thought processes are this. My success is the success of my successor. Does that make sense? My success as an interim pastor is the ultimate success of my successor. In other words, your Mr. Right, your new pastor. And so one of my main desires as I'm, for however long I'm in this role is to prime the pump, to grease the skids, to stop or start uh, whatever we need to do in this church so that when Mr. the day that Mr. Wright arrives, he can hit the ground running. Amen? I mean, we want this guy to not have to deal with cleanup on aisle five for any reason. We want him to hit the ground running and, uh, and, and just be able to exercise the gifts that God has given him at Cedar Home. And just along with that, we need to pray uh, fervently to God that he lets us know when Mr. Wright is Mr. Wright. Okay? So prayer is, is uh, all important. And I don't know if any of them are here, and they probably would not have wanted to do it anyway, but I'm going to make... Does, are any of the uh, search committee members uh, here this morning? Oh, hand raising is not enough. All right. Stand up, please. 
All right, I got three, four. Who else is here that's on the search committee? Anybody? They're pointing at people that don't want to stand, so. <laughs> Who else? Dave? Okay. Let's give them a hand for what they're going to do. How about that? Thank you, guys. They need our prayers. They need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And uh, God already knows who the guy is, but they don't yet. So we got to put those two together. And then finally, uh, uh, w one thing that I want to do, do more than anything else when uh, you come here on Sundays is to give you a good portion of the Word of God. I am really committed to preaching God's Word. And uh, I'm not going to embellish the Word I'm going to just preach the word. So I hope that you go out of here, here every Sunday that I'm here um, filled up with a good meal of Scripture, okay? And I know that's why, what you want. So um, having said that today, I want, to, I want to take us, put a toe in the water of the book of Hebrews. That's what I'll be preaching on, uh, the book of Hebrews. I'll tell you why here in a minute, but... Um, I'm going to introduce the book today because I don't want to share any of the scriptures that we're going to be studying with an introduction. Because as in the commentaries that I've read, the series that I've watched or listened to, uh, some of the preachers try to shove an introduction into the first section of scripture. And it never seems to work. Either it's a good introduction and a bad study of the Word of God, a really bad introduction and a good study of the Word of God. And I don't want to put those two together. I don't want to, um, to cheat on the Word of God. Next week we'll do verses 1 through 3 of the first chapter. But I think I need to do an introduction because it's good to get a broad idea of what this whole book is about. So that's what we're going to do uh, this morning. Um, well, why? Why just an introduction uh, this morning rather than getting into the book of Hebrews? Um, well, I never preached on Hebrews before. I preached on every book in the New Testament but two, Luke and Hebrews. Uh, I did three other Gospels, so I didn't want to do Luke, and uh, I have not done the book of Hebrews. And I've done a bunch of Old Testament books too, but Hebrews and, um, and Luke are the only two that I haven't done. And uh, I, it's just embarrassing to say, but I think I didn't preach on it because I thought it was going to be too much work. You know? I mean... I, you know, Hebrews is not a simple book, is it? It's filled with a lot of very intricate and uh, Old Testament symbolism and typology. And I just, I guess I kind of hid from it. And then uh, I also, uh, um, I don't know if I saw, I know there's great individual passages, sections in the book of Hebrews, but I didn't, I don't know if I saw it as just really super practical. And uh, I'm all about putting the cookies on the bottom shelf every Sunday so people can take them home with them and eat them. And uh, boy, was I wrong. I admit it, I confess. Will you forgive me? Thank you. Um, that wasn't very affirming, but... Uh, <laughs> but I, for all the wrong reasons, I didn't preach on it. And... Um, when I got into it personally, uh, I was soundly uh, corrected by the Lord. What made the difference? Well, the difference is, uh, has to do with my, Bible my personal Bible reading system. I 
I go back and forth from Old to New Testament and back again. Genesis, Matthew, Exodus, Mark, Leviticus, Luke. And then I just, I just keep going through the Bible that way. And sometimes the books, it's not in order after you've done it a while. And um, I was reading uh, the book of Leviticus. It, it was really exciting. <laughs> How many of you just gravitate towards that book when you read the Bible? I think, yeah, Leviticus. Oh, man, I got like, I think I was either done or almost done. And I just started, I just got honest with God. I said, man, God, this is tedious. I mean, I know there's a lot of good typology and blah, blah, this and blah, blah, that. It's your word. It's inspired, inerrant, infallible in its original manuscripts, you know. But I said, man, this is just, do I say boring? I don't think it was boring. It's God's word. It was tedious. And it was like the Holy Spirit talked to me and he said, yeah, that's the idea. And I went, what? That's the idea. I want you to feel the burden and the weight of the law on your shoulders. I want you to, to feel the legalism that results from books like this. I want you to feel the rules and regulations and the temporary nature of the sacrificial system for forgiveness, having to take offering after offering after offering after offering after offering after offering all through your life just to get daily forgiveness. I want you to feel the weight of this book, the, the tryhardism, because that stuff without Christ characterizes every other religion in the world in some way besides New Testament Christianity. I want you to feel the weight of it because the next book that was coming up was Hebrews. And it blew my mind. I think of the verse, uh, what is it, 1014, by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. One sacrifice made me perfect forever as God sanctifies me while I'm on earth. And I thought, see, that's a little bit different than Hebrews. And the Lord said, yeah, that's the idea, you know? And he started to teach me the theme of our series, which is Jesus is better. Is that around? Is, there was a banner that was made. Did it get hung up somewhere? It's in the office. So everybody go into the office after church today. And no, it'll hang up somewhere. I don't know where we're going to put it, but... But the theme of our series is Jesus is better. Better in every way, okay? That's what the church needs to be uh, hit with. Jesus is better. He's better than any other religious system. He's superior to it. He's better than any, any kind of fleshly indulgence. He's better, 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 better. Okay? That's what the church needs. Now, I wasn't doing an interim at that time, even though I really, really wanted to preach on it. And so we were here between interim pastorates, and I said, well, at least we can do our, uh, um, I call them home groups, I don't think we call them that, community group. Let's do this in our community group, and, make it a, and I'll make it a series, somewhere, preaching series somewhere else some other time, if we're called to another interim. And one thing you need to understand is, uh, we don't, when, we don't look for a job. I told God, I'm not going to look for a job in, ter in terms of interim. The job has to look for me. Then I'll know it's from you, Lord. And uh, um, 
We were called to an interim pastorate in Bremerton. Where are you, Carolyn? There you are, my Bremerton attendee for today. And uh, dear friend that we made when we were there. And, um, and I thought, yeah, I'm gonna preach this message, this uh, series, of, I'm gonna take those community group notes and I'm going to expand them into sermons, full sermons, and preach it at um, Sylvan Way in Bremerton. And I thought, you know, maybe I better ask the secretary, when did, uh, what did the, were the last couple of sermon series that the pastor did before he retired? Guess which one he did? Hebrews. Okay, that's, not, that's the end of that. Okay. So um, we did some other things there, and then we got here thinking, we'll probably get another intro maybe in Montana or, um, let's see, Maybe Oregon. Uh, I never had a clue that we'd be, I'd be sitting here right now doing an interim pastor in the very church that I was lead pastor in from 1986 to 2013. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to make it really clear because, you know, I'm not going to make a move or a sound about that. And I told Debbie, I said, you know, I'm going to have to be approached on that. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go after this. Next Sunday, I believe it was, our lead elder, Dan Olson, said, would you ever consider doing an interim at Cedar Home? And I said, yeah, I would. I mean, why wouldn't I, right? I love this church. I love you people. And I thought, I get to preach for an hour and a half every Sunday. Why not, you know? <laughs> so it may seem like a little longer today because Introductions are tough to put in a little pack, littler package. They really are. And so here we are, doing an interim here. Um, and I, 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 look, I don't know how to put it, but Hebrews has meant a lot to me personally. Uh, do you ever wrestle with anything in Scripture? Be honest, come on. Never. Never wrestle with anything God's doing. Never wrestle with... Well, I was wrestling with some doctrinal issues and theological issues and personal issues. And the Lord used the book of Hebrews to, to just shatter uh, my uh, difficulties in those areas. I'm so thankful. And I think here's what I'm going to say now, and I'm going to say it at the end of the message tape. I'm going to get into Hebrews itself, but and I want you to just hang on to this, you guys. This makes me so excited to do this series is that I believe after reading this, studying it, and all, that this is an extremely relevant book for the church of 2021. You would think, wait a minute, the, the writer wrote to uh, uh, Jewish believers back in the first century, and yeah, what does that have to do with me now in 2021? Everything. You'll, you'll hear it today. The book of Hebrews is an incredible template. They face so many of the same issues that we're facing today. And you take off the first century, you know, unsaved Jew, Jew persecution type of thing, and you take that off, and then you transfer that to today, and it fits like a glove. Okay, so 
I just want to start with that, that I'm excited, okay? It's a custom fit for the church today. And all that we're going through culturally, morally, politically, uh, you'll see. And, you know, I, I'll prove it as we go along. But let's answer some questions about the book of Hebrews. Number one, who wrote it? Does anybody know who wrote the book of Hebrews? You, don't, you know why you don't know? Because we don't know. Nobody knows, okay? But let me tell you what we do know about the book of Hebrews. Whoever wrote it was amazingly well-versed in um, the knowledge of the Old Testament and the sacrificial system. They, they quote Psalms and Jeremiah and Habakkuk, the book you read this morning for your devotions, Habakkuk, uh, Proverbs. I mean, they're all over the place. This person knew the Old Testament. Um, and they were, again, highly uh, knowledgeable and well-learned in uh, the temple practices, the sacrificial system, the priestly system that was, that was used. They're brilliant and passionate about Jesus and passionate about their, their fellow Jewish Christians, passionate about their faith. And, you know, you'd think this would be a theologically cold or detached book. It's just the opposite. It's just the guy's heart's just melting and, and, and loving on the people that he's writing to, although I will tell you there are some pretty fiery admonitions, but he loves them, okay? Now, that's what we do know. Again, what we don't know is who wrote the book. Um, theories abound. A lot of people say the apostle Paul. I'm not so sure about that because whenever Paul wrote a book, usually he mentioned the resurrection about 500 times, right? He was in love with the resurrection, but um, I don't even know if it's referred to, I don't know how many times in Hebrews, but not very many. Other possibilities include Barnabas, Apollos, Luke, and a few others. When we get to heaven, we can find out. You think we'll care? I don't think we'll care. So that's who we know wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know. And it's not worth arguing. If anybody tries to pick a fight with you about that, don't, don't even, it's not worth it. But there are people, they know, you know. <laughs> when was it written? Um, Hebrews must have been written before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70. Because all the mentionings of the priests and the sacrifices and the uh, temple, uh, well, everything about the Old Testament temple, uh, is all written as if it's happening as this guy's writing. It's never ha- that, that was that's what it was like when the temple was was still standing. But it's, that's when we used to make animals. It's not that way. It's just when we are now. Chapters. Where am I? Five, seven, eight, nine, ten, thirteen. It's all like as the priest is doing this now. It's a reminder. So it's. It's probably written uh, around a- A.D. 60, 65. That's just a calculated guess. Okay. Now, who was the book written to? Who was the book written to? The short version, I'll give you a short and a long version. The short version was Jewish Christians um, who were traumatized by the possibility of what the future held for them as believers. Sound familiar? Getting a little nervous with some of the things that may be passing? 
in our political system, getting nervous about where we're going morally, sexually, culturally, getting a little bit of a sweat in your palm about the way the world is, what the world is thinking about Christians. I told you, it's a template. It really is. So it was written to the echo chamber of the... There. Whatever that was, I hope it's gone for good. All right. Do we have it fixed? Do I keep talking? It's fixed, okay. Um, They were Jewish Christians who were traumatized by the possibility of what the future held for them as believers. R. Kent Hughes wrote a great commentary on the book of uh, Hebrews, and uh, I want to read a a little quote by him. Uh, He says, The writer of of Hebrews was writing to admonish and encourage his friends, a small group of Jewish Christians, who were, and I think a smattering of Gentiles too, but mostly Jewish Christians, who were scared stiff. Some had begun to avoid contact with outsiders. Some had even withdrawn from the worshiping community altogether. That's why he said to them, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, which is the habit of some. The author feared there might be those who, if arrested, would succumb to the conditions of release, a public denial of Christ. Okay. I was just reading in my VOM, excuse me, Voice of the Martyrs magazine that I get every month, about a pastor and his wife who minister over there, and they had to, uh, several people who, under pressure, uh, went back to the Muslim faith. I just, my heart just broke. But anyway, the author feared that there might be those who, if arrested, would succumb to the conditions of release, a public denial of Christ. That this little house church was asking some hard questions. Did God know what was going on? Or uh, or if so, how could this be happening to them? Did he care? Only God could protect them, but where was he? Why didn't he answer? Why the silence of God? And they started to, to weaken, okay? The long version is this. You're thinking, if that was a short version, what is the long version? I don't know. But I, I need to, you know, let's just get this over with so we can move on, right? I want you to know what we're getting into here. A uh, long version. The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers in Christ. More specifically, the book of Hebrews was written about, or to some, what suffering persecuted Jewish and a few Gentile believers for their faith. Probably to a small church in Italy, or, yeah, in Italy. They didn't practice the Jewish sacrifices anymore in the temple. They lived somewhere outside Jerusalem. Again, most likely Rome, Italy. Uh, Some were becoming weak and wavering and watered down in their faith because of the unrelenting opposition of their former, still unsaved Jewish uh, fellow attenders of the synagogue, Jewish leaders, Jewish colleagues, Jewish relatives, and so on. And you know, uh, I was talking to uh, Dan, and he said, remember, Mitch, that Jews were okay to do what they wanted to do according to the government of Rome, right? Right? Just say yes, even if you don't know what I'm talking about, okay? 
that they, they, they to be Jewish and be making offerings in uh, the temple was okay with Rome. But who Rome really didn't like was Jews who had become Christians. And that's where the opposition started to ramp up. Okay, and they, uh, um, it was ramping up on them, these, this little church. And to the point where some of them were tempted to return to their former ways of unsaved Judaism out of comfort and convenience sake. I mean, who wants to be hassled all the time, right? It's no fun. It's kind of like the Jews in the wilderness. Dan Olson preached on that a few, was it about a month ago where, um, you know, they got out of Egypt and they went into the wilderness. Now they're free from slavery. And then what happened a while after they'd been there? Oh, it was so nice back in Egypt. And they began to forget what a drag it was. Same thing here. And, you know, the food was so good back then and, and this, that, and the other thing. And they lost perspective because they were being beaten up. And the writer to the Hebrews wants to stop that altogether, okay? He wanted to remind them how much better Jesus was, how, much, how superior Jesus was, how much better the new covenant in Christ is to the old covenant of the law. But you know, they were familiar with that. They were familiar with the synagogue and, and they were starting to weaken under uh, persecution. And so one of the purposes of Hebrews is to, um, to remind them of that, that Jesus is better, which is our theme that we'll, I'll mention it, uh, quite a number of times. Dr. Dennis Johnson puts it this way. I thought he did a good job. He said, the original audience of Hebrews faced a whole number of issues. As the author mentions in chapter 10, they had originally faced various forms of suffering 15 years earlier. They lost property. They were treated horribly. Some of them had been in prison. They'd been ridiculed and, and rejected in public, you know. Um, and now that's starting to ramp up again, and they're thinking, you know, I don't know if I want to go through this again. Okay? And before we say, well, that would never be me, we need to remember that these people seemingly were sold out to Christ. We have to be careful. And so the writer of the Hebrews says, be willing to bear the reproach of Christ, to face exclusion and suffering, okay? Be willing to be excluded from the synagogue and all your former uh, connections, okay? And uh, be firm. And so I'm going to continue with the quote now. There are those forms of persecution that they were facing that made them want to leave the church. Now the sufferings that they did, uh, were having, were not near what they had 15 years ago. Um, they hadn't escalated to the point of shedding blood. Yet he seems to be aware that of their need to be assured that they have been set free from the fear of death. So... Johnson says it may be that even a more intense, violent persecution was possibly on the horizon. You see why I say this is a perfect template for today? I'll, I'm going to finish this message with a quote by Dr. Chuck Swindoll that will blow your mind. 
okay, in this whole vein. Followers of Christ have suffered persecution throughout history. Stolen property, beatings, imprisonment, and martyrdom have been the fate of countless Christians. And by some reports, Christ's followers are being persecuted more than ever in our own day, and it's true all around the world. And maybe, and I'm not predicting anything, I'm not a prophet, maybe it's going to start to heat up in our own country. Would you agree that that's possible? I think it already is. I think the spirit of Antichrist is rising. I don't know how fast, but it is. You have to be blind, deaf, and dumb to not understand that if you keep up at all with what's going on in our society today. Let me finish this quote. We'll never get done with this message, okay? For those of us who aren't suffering in these ways just yet, it's hard to imagine the temptations that persecution brings. Christians who live in peace and safety often compromise their faith even without threats. But can you imagine how tempting it would be to compromise what you believe to protect yourself, your spouse, your children, and closest friends from serious harm? How could we possibly encourage fellow believers in these conditions? This was the challenge that faced the author of the book of Hebrews. He wrote to a group of Christians who had suffered in the past and were now threatened with even more suffering. They'd done well years ago, but the author of Hebrews feared that they might now turn away from Christ to avoid further persecution. And as a result, they were tempted to fall back in their old, some old, uh, in some ways easier, more familiar way of life and religion. We love familiarity before they turned to Christ, which would have proven them, hear me now, you can argue with me about this later, um, they may not have ever been Christians in the first place. And, and I'll, I'll expand on that through the weeks. But Now, there were some other things going on with the Hebrew believers that I think we need to mention quickly before we get to why the book was written and then some applications uh, at the end. Uh, some other things, they had come down with a case of what I would call arrested development. And no, I've never seen that show, okay? But it fits. Um, arrested development. And after their original commitment to Christ, they had slowly become less attentive to the things of Christianity. And here's what some of them were. They had, um, stopped, they had stopped learning. And that's why the writer to the Hebrews, and by the way, I'm going to say Paul. I know I am. I just know I am. So cut me some slack when I say Paul said in Hebrews, um, but the writer uh, said, you know, you're still, you, you don't discern good, right, uh, uh, evil from good, F chapter 5, 11 through 14. You know, you're still drinking milk when you should be eating solid food. You should be teachers, but you're not even able to be taught. Well, none of us want to be in that boat. Their church attendance had lapsed. It was no longer really regular and consistent Hebrews 10.25 says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, which is the habit of some. Okay? And although they really were in love with each other at one time and respectful to their leadership, they had regressed. And the writer has to remind them of that. He exhorts them. He warns them. And he encourages them to stay true and faithful to Christ and to each other or face the consequences. And we're going to talk about three kinds of consequences throughout the book. 
One, they lost their salvation. And I don't believe you can lose your salvation. You with me on that? Once you're saved, you're saved. We could make a whole theological case for that. Or two, you're a Christian, but you've backslidden and apostatized, and you are going to be spanked by Almighty God. And a fair number of Christians believe that. The third thing is, you were never a Christian to begin with. It's not that you can lose your salvation, it's whether you ever had it or not. Pretty sobering, huh? Jesus talked a lot about that in the parable of the soils and other places. So we're going to look at those. I'll tell you which one I believe um, at the end of the book when I'm done. Uh, No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'll tell you what I believe, and it might come as a surprise to some of you. Um, Anyway, these warnings about this uh, come in chapters 2, 3, 5, 6, 10, and 12. Read ahead. Okay, so why the purpose of the book of Hebrews? I've kind of said it already. I'll repeat it. Um, Gee, I love the fact that there's no clock on the back wall. So I don't know what time it is. So um, why was the book, or what's the purpose of the book of Hebrews? It was to strengthen the wavering faith of the Hebrew Jewish believers and to encourage them that Jesus understands how you feel. Chapter 2. And to add confidence to their floundering faith to keep them from turning away from Christ. In the midst of being increasingly unpopular and of possible persecution. The writer's trying to shake them out of their lethargy, their compromise, their complacency. And you say, you know, I've been in a desert time for a long time. I've been in the wilderness. Well, this is the book you want to hear. Not only encouragement, but some real uh, challenging warnings also. Um, the writer's trying to wake them up, to hold on to their faith and their salvation by persevering through trials. Because perseverance, my friends, is the evidence of a genuine conversion. Now, you could say, well, I prayed a prayer at my mother's with my mom at my mother's bedside or I received Christ at vacation Bible school. I walked an aisle in a meeting and well, may that have been your salvation experience. But ultimately, the Bible is very clear that the true sign of a genuine Christian is one that perseveres to the end. Jesus said that to the people that he wrote uh, in the book of Revelation. He who endures to the end is the one that is saved. We don't get saved by persevering but the sign of salvation above every other in the New Testament is perseverance. And the writer wants to say, look, think about all you got with Jesus. When you let go of that sacrificial system, that temporary limited uh, effectiveness of atonement, think about all you got. Jesus is so much superior, so much more powerful, so much more transforming, so much better. Don't go back. Don't go back. John MacArthur in his commentary says on Hebrews, many Jewish Christians were beginning to say to themselves, this is rough. We received the gospel, we believed it, but it's hard work to break up with our old religion and with our own people and the traditions we have always held 
and to face persecution. It's hard for us not to doubt that Jesus is the Messiah, and such doubts were a great problem for them because they were spiritually infantile. And throughout Hebrews, these immature but beloved Christians are told, keep your confidence, or apparent Christians, keep your confidence in Christ, the mediator of a better covenant, and their new great high priest. They are reminded that they were losing nothing for which they were not getting something infinitely better. (laughs) That's well put. They had been deprived of an earthly temple, but they were going to get a heavenly one. They were deprived of an earthly priesthood, but they now had a heavenly priest. They had been deprived of the old pattern of sacrifices, but now they had one final sacrifice. So persevere and enter into God's rest. And there are um, some stern warnings, too, not just in comforting, but in chapters 2, 4, 5, 6, 10, and 12, there are some stern warnings of the consequences of turning away from Christ and the possibility that their original conversion wasn't genuine in the first place if they didn't persevere. I like the way D.A. Carson describes this, one of Pastor Dan's favorite, D.A. Carson. Um, By as many exhortations the writer to the Hebrews, to put it positively, is encouraging us readers to persevere. And in some of his language, is very gentle and entreating and encouraging. But some of it is, quite frankly, blisteringly frightening. I love that. I, I want to be dealt with. Blisteringly frightening. This is what is ahead for you if you turn away from Jesus. And, you know, like up in, is it, I can't remember, the, it might be 12, 11, 12. Uh, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Nobody wants that. But there are some things that we need to hold on to if our conversion is proven genuine. Okay, again, you can't lose your salvation, but the question is whether we've ever had it in the first place. And God wants us to have assurance. There's other things in Scripture that tell us how to know we're saved. But he also doesn't want us to take it for granted if we're disobeying him on a constant basis. Okay? Don't be like the children of Israel, he's saying that you come up short of the promised land, using those, the Israelites as a, as a type, as a picture. Don't come up short. And that's why the book was written, to encourage and challenge these beat-up believers. Now, I want to wrap up the, um, the message today uh, with a conclusion that comes in a couple of different parts. Um, I'll just read this verbatim. It's probably the easiest way. Uh, I wrote this in my own uh, way of seeing it. Um, The the Hebrews' background um, is that they forgot, many of them forgot the betterness of Jesus, the superiority of Jesus. They were forgetting that because they were being hassled and harmed, and hurt, and harassed. 
They forgot how good Jesus was and is. He's good. He's better. He's superior. He's superior to the angels, to Moses, to the high priest, to the sacrificial, old sacrificial system. He's superior with his blood atonement, which is permanent and infinite. He's superior in his new covenant, superior as the Messiah. Remember that. Because if you go back, you got nothing but dead religion. And uh, a couple other things that um, I think is important to remember is that the writer wrote to these Hebrew believers to warn and protect them from strange teachings. In chapter 13, and we'll talk about what some of these are, but he says, don't uh, turn away from grace to false religions who impose worship of angels or special or false prophets or false doctrine. I tell you guys, sometimes I watch the religious channels and there's some really good preachers on there, but there's some guys that have large square footage churches that are, I would consider, a false teacher. And you have hundreds of feet, not thousands of people just kind of, you know, swallowing everything that guy says whole. And I think, how can you, there's never mentioning of the cross or the blood or suffering you know, everything, you're supposed to be happy all the time, right? And it's just so false. And I want us to study this well so we don't fall into that, that seductive teaching that is satanic. But it just feels so good. And then um, I want us to look at some applications from the book of Hebrews, the practical side of Hebrews, okay, as well as, uh, especially as members of the church of 2021. This is where I get excited. Um, but, oh boy. Is it possibly, possible to be too excited to preach? I don't know if that's possible, but we are gonna get the best class on Christology that many of us have ever had. We are going to view what it means to, as Christians, have a strong Christ, a strong Christology. Um, the absolute, and that's most, a lot of it is in the first and second chapters, and up in chapter seven, and then 13, I believe. Uh, we're gonna get a class, a, you couldn't go to a seminary and get a better class on Christ than this or Bible school. We're going to talk about the absolute uniqueness of who Jesus really is, the eternal God who came in human flesh, the perfection of all that he accomplished while he was on earth and for all of eternity, the fact that he can relate to every single problem we will ever have in this life and every single pain. I've done this. I think, Lord, I'm going through this. Uh, it really hurts. And he, he says, well, I went through that. And I go, oh, okay, I'm sorry. There's nothing that you can go through emotionally or physically or mentally that Christ hasn't already gone through when he was on earth to the fullest degree. You've got someone who knows how you feel. Okay, and we need that. And so we're going to get a great Christology. The second thing is, 
And this was a, a I don't want to use the word revelation, but it kind of was a, an awake, mind-opening thing to me. What we're going to get is the awesome mental, emotional, psychological, practical, spiritual implications and applications of Christ's atoning work and the new covenant for our daily lives. So I, I thought it was, it was theological. Yeah, and mental and psychological and emotional and every aspect of the human psyche, the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his bodily resurrection from the grave meets us in all those areas in powerful ways. It's really neat. Um, let me see if I can just give you a groceries list real quick. Um, because this is not a dusty book. This is not a theologically attached book. I am blown away, you guys, by the connection of the atoning work of Christ and the human, emotional, psychological experience. Are you guys getting excited about this at all? Okay, I hope so. It's awful quiet. Um, the, it's, almost, it's hard to say this well, but the atoning work of Christ for us as believers affects radically, if we allow it to, our church, our family, our marriage, our parenting, our grandparenting, which, by the way, I'll be here in five months. Yeah. I won't talk a lot about it, I promise. Um, where was I? Okay. Uh, parenting, grandparenting, Love and obedience to God. How we treat our friends and who our friends are. Our self, Christ image. How to deal with our perfectionism and our controlling personalities. Our hope, giving us hope. Um, how to handle conflict, rejection, fear, insecurity, guilt. How to practice forgiveness when someone has hurt us. How to deal, how to get assurance of our salvation. It's all connected with what Jesus did. And then Hebrews, this is really going to be fun too. We're going to see who God inducted in Faith's Hall of Fame. There's a Hall of Fame in chapter 11 filled with the people that God inducted. And we're going to learn what faith is and how to live by faith. One of the most important things uh, we can do to uh, humbly acquire God's blessing in our life. So we'll be going and looking at Faith's Hall of Fame. Last page. The importance of perseverance. So rarely taught from the pulpit today. Oh, George Whitfield preached on it. John Wesley preached on it. Charles Spurgeon preached on it. There are some good preachers right now that preach on it, but you won't hear it very much. Okay. Proof of authentic conversion is perseverance. And we'll need it because our society is on a steep downward trajectory. Okay. Morally, spiritually, culturally, politically, in terms of the spirit of Antichrist against the church. Now, I'm not trying to wave a flag and get all alarmist, but am I, am I wrong? Okay. 
we need to understand what perseverance means in this downward trajectory of our wonderful country and world. And then how to graciously suffer, how to live under suffering, okay? Okay, finally, how can you get the most out of this series? What do you got to do? I say take the L challenge. You know what the L challenge is? Read Leviticus. <laughs> and believe me, it's a challenge. I wonder how many people that just went right through their mind and out the door. But you know what? If you really want Hebrews to explode in your brain and your heart, gut your way through Leviticus. And then when you hit chapter 10, 14 of Hebrews, and it says, by one sacrifice he's made perfect forever those who have been made whole, you say, yeah, that was worth it. Because you really don't understand Christianity until you understand the Jewish roots of Christianity fully. And so take the L challenge, and then I'm asking you to read the passage a, couple, a few times during the week, just to prime the pump. Um, we're going to be doing verses 1 through 3 next week, so um, just, just go over. So you don't come to church cold turkey, right? You have a little bit, the pump is primed and the skids are greased a little bit, and you're, you know, you're, it's not just uh, cold, you know, when you come in. Um, and by the way, uh, I moved, this, the reason I moved communion to the ne next week is there is a, a verse in the first three verses that is so powerful I had to do on a communion Sunday. But I knew I was going to introduce the book today. So, um, And then pray. Pray. I mentioned Spurgeon. Every sermon that he preached in his church, he had 500 people in the basement of the church praying. People got saved. They got their lives changed. Why? Because he, he, he was a great preacher? Well, yeah, he was. But because of prayer. Maybe pray on the way here in the car or whatever. Just pray for me, pray for you, pray for our church. Okay? And then, um, finally, the last thing. See it as a template for the church in 2021, as I mentioned earlier. As the church in 2021, we need to know what to do. As our world goes the way it goes, we need to know what to do, what to believe, what to fasten on to, individually and corporately. And the book of Hebrews tells us, now comes my final quote, honest. The relevance of Hebrews for us, Chuck Swindoll says, most people reading the book of Hebrews today are not Jewish believers. And even if they are of Hebrew ancestry, none are living in the terrors of first century Rome under the madness of Nero. However, all of us, whether Jew or Gentile, and here is my favorite sense, can sense the heat rising in our increasingly Christian culture and feel the pressure to conform to the values and priorities of this darkening world. Can you feel the heat rising? I can't. Okay, I'm not a prophet of doom, and I'm not saying how and how much and when, but I'm just saying we can sense it. Like the first century Jewish followers of the Messiah who were tempted to abandon his way, truth, and life for a more comfortable path, we need to come to grips with the sufficiency and betterness of Christ and his absolute superiority over all things. We need to stand and say a pledge of allegiance to the Lord who brought us, bought us with his own blood. Whatever 
the trial or turmoil you may be facing today, Christ is superior to that. He's better individually as a church family. Can I get an amen? Come on now, one more time. Amen. Amen. We're a family. We're one. Christ is, is able to enhance that. I'm convinced of it. Whatever the, I guess I, I'll just reread this. Whatever the trial or turmoil you may be dealing with today, Christ is better. He's superior. It may be pressure from outside yourself, an unbelieving uncle ridiculing you for your antiquated religion, or an overbearing boss refusing to promote you because of your faith, or a spouse who's jealous of your personal relationship with Christ whether it's disharmony in the home, a medical prognosis that sounds bleak, or an upheaval in your church, Christ is superior. He's better. You could be struggling also with pressure from within yourself, emotional baggage you've been carrying around for decades, or the feelings of loneliness, sadness, or disappointment, or worry about the future, regret over the past, and stress in the present. Whatever you're turning over and over and over and over in your mind and obsessing about as you lie awake at night, you can have peace knowing Christ is superior. He's better. He is able. Maybe you're thinking about throwing in the towel and calling it quits. Maybe you've been tempted to let life not only knock you down, but knock you out. If that's you, Hebrews is for you. Christ and Christ alone is superior to our greatest challenges and our lowest despair. He knows you intimately, cares about you deeply, and most importantly, has the superior power, wisdom, and love to save you completely. Why? Because in his person, in his work, he's superior to everything. Jesus is better. Let's stand and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we are Cedar Home Baptist Church and we are hungry for your word and we are hungry for you. And as we begin this journey that will end who knows where in our hearts, we pray that you would just protect us, unify us, help us to love each other, help us to pray for each other and give us supernatural revelation from the scriptures um, that will prepare us for what's to come. We love you, Father. Thank you for loving us. And uh, guide our day that it would bring glory to you and blessing to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.